was it's sort of like sweeter maybe or even a bit tart I'm sure it's not cheap wine well we're not supposed to be drinking cheap wine this year no but you know coming in that two pack like that oh okay nice I think I'm so used to Merlot yeah that's actually not too bad but it's Shiraz a lot thicker too I think I've still got these glasses there I'd have to be visitors glass again I'll have a look at these not too bad to be honest Shiraz is the worst of the wines to come back up. Oh, that's probably why I don't drink it. <laughs> Welcome to Single Sisters, the podcast. This is episode three, Women in History. We are all about life, laughter, leisure and love. And I've got it typed in capital letters for today as I'm really feeling the love after last night. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm Kaz and am here with Sister Jo and we are here again to serve up some of our single lives to you all and always with a laugh and sometimes with the odd expletive. <laughs> And we're coming to you today a little bit sore and weary. What a massive start to March, both personally and globally. Part of the reason why we didn't drop an episode last fortnight. What the bloody hell, Joe? Oh, I don't know. After last night, I don't know how I'm sitting here having a wine. Seriously. With your face mask on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, we read it. need it right now. I mean, has the world been taken over by aliens it's just a world gone crazy australia bushfires in january floods in february and the great toilet paper epidemic in march <laughs> i mean these days we have to look over our shoulder going grocery shopping for the fear of being attacked i know you're like oh no i'm not hoarding anything i promise <laughs> i always buy three of these <laughs> i really do need toilet paper I'm like this is serious people oh Honestly, but I think the humour's great and I think it's important that we keep laughing and smiling because, you yeah. know, some of those memes that are coming out, I think, how do people honestly think of these things so quickly? So and they fun. are, they're quick-witted, aren't mm, they? Yeah. But I guess we do need to take the virus issue seriously in ensuring that we do listen to expert advice, and I say expert, bolded, mm. and take it on board because we're really navigating something relatively world first in in health aren't we like yeah and where it sort of even affected us personally in a small way I suppose having to negotiate flight cancellations for mum next weekend so yeah yeah it is taking a hold of everybody yeah it's changing the way we think about life I guess where you're going and what you're doing and yeah and how yeah. necessary is it yeah. to go out yeah 
And um, I mean, while we, we still need to get on with our daily lives, I think that's still important. We just need to be vigilant. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. as Jacinda said, wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good speech. That was a really yeah. good speech. Yeah. So, Joe, with our busier than usual life, because it's always busy, but it's just been so busy the last month, how are your studies going? Oh, you know, I only have four assignments left to submit, but I have been stockpiling them for months now. And I don't know how I managed to submit three since I returned from holidays, to be honest. But anyway, I've done it and those three I passed. So So you've got till when? To finalise it all, though? Oh, I've got till June, but... Mm, um, That's coming along quite quickly. Yeah, giving myself uh, just four days out at Easter. I always say I feel when I have time off work, I don't want to waste it, but I am actually just going to stay home and not do anything except maybe watch TV and do a bit of study. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is good to have time at home, I think, sometimes. I really enjoy it anyway. Yeah. you know, plant something in the garden or do yeah, something. Yeah, start a veggie garden or something yeah. small. Yeah. No, that'd be good. Mm. Mm. Talking about being busy, you haven't really had much downtime either. So how is your recovery from your surgery progressing? Oh, my boobs are going great now, honestly. Um, I think post-op two, month two and three were pretty rough on me physically. Like the pain was still there and emotionally, I don't know. It's just, I think after any surgery, you're probably... Up yeah. and down with your emotions and how you're feeling. And so it was a pretty, you know, major surgery, I suppose. But um, I'm really noticing a change now, like in the healing of the wounds and all that sort of thing. So I'm feeling really confident about them now and my energy levels are increasing. Mm. And although oh, yeah, I go you're pretty so energetic <laughs> last night, I might say. I go so bloody hard in life. Like, <laughs> I don't know how anything can heal. Like, yeah. I, I give know. it a red hot go when I go out. Like, yeah. <laughs> You have to, don't you? Yeah, like, what's well, the point? Right. What's the, what's go the hard use? or go home, don't they yeah, say? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you should go home and you don't. <laughs> yeah, and it's been a whirlwind month. So you have to remind me of what we've been up to because there's been so much on. Oh, yes, too much to be honest. Um, but it was good to have our lovely friend Dee here visit from NZ a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she was our first visitor to the manor. She was. And what a delightful one. Laughter and fun time, oh. showing her around the valley. And we took her to one of our, you know, favourite things to do, one of the best concerts we have been to in some time out at Bimbadgen. It had been a while since we'd been yeah. to a concert too. So, yeah. yeah, and that's really the only one we booked for this year, to be honest, or for this season. Um, and the fun started as soon as the driver arrived, really, and we picked up our other beautiful friends and we we saw I Know the Leopard and Pseudo Echo, who's one of my faves, yeah, yeah. and Rick Astley, uh-huh, you know, they were uh-huh. One, they were uh-huh, <laughs> one-hit wonders, uh-huh, yeah. Um, yeah, but apparently they have a big following, so who would have guessed? Um, but the day wasn't without casualties, was it, Kaz? No, no, yeah, yeah. it was a very fun day. And having Dee with us was just great. She's awesome fun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I had bought a new phone only the week before and put it in the side pocket of my chair that happened to, like the cooler bag Side. side, and it happened to have a bit of ice in there that melted. And I sat my phone in there, not for very long, and it 
got some water damage and short of the story was Apple opened it up and said that it had been compromised previous to that they feel mm. and yeah anyway long story short I'd bought it secondhand and it was a quick lesson learnt to me especially given that my son had begged me not to buy a secondhand phone again given that you don't get any warranty any insurance with mm. it and I guess it yeah just a lesson learnt given the value of it yeah it's well it's money it's money down the drain down the drain you can never get back yeah um and like i said to you oh you know could you claim it on insurance but then you've got to pay excess anyway exactly. so yeah. you know you, yeah. you do if you you're damned if you do you're damned if you yeah. don't yeah i mean thing. some things are fine to buy second hand you don't need to worry about it but i just think oh, i would definitely rethink electronic mm goods from yeah. now on yeah. yeah just given that you know it is a lot of money yeah, yeah definitely good tip and you know just to be careful too because they are worth so much money and sometimes we do throw them around a bit and oh, you know like exactly. we don't really think about yeah. the impact and should the they not more be working drinks you have you sort of tend to forget what you're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> where well. things are yeah. anyway so this week we have celebrated International Women's Day more than one. I know. <laughs> it feels like it's been a couple of weeks of just celebrating being women. <laughs> yeah, which is great. We need to do it more often. And, I, you know, it was a funny story from work because I went to um, a luncheon uh, for work and um, I told the guys, oh, I'm going out for the afternoon, I won't be back. And one of them said, oh, do you know what that means? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, that means we have to put the dishwasher on this afternoon before you women are gone. And I'm like, and uh, this is why we have International Women's Day, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, a huge thanks to Mum for driving us to the champagne breakfast we went to. Oh. <laughs> that was a funny... The trip there, we did warn her that the trip home would be a lot different. As we do our drivers on all occasions out to oh, the, the vineyards. It was such a crack up, the drive home with her. But that it was a fabulous event, yeah, celebrating International Women's Day and a very fun afternoon spent with a couple of our favourite sisters mm-hmm. doing a bit of a pub crawl. Yeah, I wonder who got well, that was going to be a great crawl. idea after drinking champagne from 9 o'clock in the morning. But anyway. <laughs> and so in honouring of today's day of the year, um, I've chosen that it's True Confessions Day today. <laughs> so that pub crawl, it kind of ended up a bit messy, Joe, didn't it? Oh, well, it did. I think there was one part of it that sort of sent me up to the, the road to sobriety. Yeah, I, I have done it a couple of times recently, but I gave myself another knee injury. <laughs> so I was walking out of one of the pubs and, yeah, Mr. Stare, and all of a sudden I was in the air and just could not stop myself from hitting the footpath. But I wasn't so worried about my knee. Like, I knew I'd, I'd hurt it, but I, I landed on my face. And I was just like, is my face all right? Is my face? And, and you're like, like, I went down on my face. And I'm like, like um, Joe, there's not even a scratch I know. I, I was just amazed that I didn't. But my knee, yeah, it was another story. It was pretty bloody and, yeah. It was. Mm. and But you got some good first aid treatment anyway. Oh, yeah, thank goodness. You know, I've got great friends and yourself you know, picked me up and yeah, nursed me back to health so I could walk to the next pub. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, it was funny and, you know, I know we shouldn't laugh about, you know, being drunk and not disorderly, but, you know, 
looking after ourselves. But, yeah, I mean, if you don't have anything go wrong, what have you got to talk about, to be honest? That's right. And I actually, my confession is that I thought I was going okay until we ate at the last pub and I don't know, I think I just went downhill. You went My down energy the... levels just Very crashed. Yeah. Uh, I was falling asleep when we went to our friend's house. Couldn't even keep my eyes open and maths was on the screen. And, yeah, the next minute your daughter came and picked us up. I know. And I went on the car trip and she said she was had to go through Macca's. And I said no to Macca's. I know. that. Well, that's when I knew that something was really wrong with you because you never say no to Macca's, especially after a night out. So Yeah, and we got to the drive-thru in Macca's and I couldn't hold it any longer and I was quite unwell. In... Is that what you call it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I spewed my guts up <laughs> in the Macca's drive-thru garden, but... How bloody awesome was it that I got to walk through Maker's drive through when they told me what late one night that I couldn't do it. No, if you don't have a car, you can't go through the drive through <laughs> But anyway, you proved them wrong on this occasion. Yeah. And I'm sure they wanted you to go through that drive through pretty quickly. They <laughs> <laughs> did. And, um, yeah, so... Well, you know, probably not the best thing to do and a bit embarrassing when you're 46 years old, but, hey, it was hey. better than being sick in the car. Definitely. And, um, yeah, I'm um, going to blame it on the food. And I'll tell you what, you crashed out pretty quickly too. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how you made it down the stairs inside, but you did. And by the time I got in, because um, I'd pretty much, I felt like I'd sobered up pretty quickly and you were just crashed out, and I was talking to you, and yeah, you were you were gone anyway. <laughs> it was a great day. Yeah, great memories, and we like making good memories. Good, bad, in between. They're yeah. fun, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and then this weekend saw us take a little drive north to little country town Scone uh, for another women's inspired evening about love, loss, and resilience. And you were asked to speak about your loss, Joe. Yeah, it was an awesome night showcasing the stories of some really inspirational ladies and I was privileged to be asked to share my story of love, loss and resilience. And even though we were walking into a room full of strangers, it never really felt that way at all. Mm. Like as soon as we got there and people were talking to us like they knew us, sort of it was really funny. And it was funny how all these little quirky connections kept I popping know. up all the evening. People who knew people that yeah, we I knew know. and Yeah, oh. it was it was just crazy. And um it's funny what road life leads you down sometimes. So yeah, it was just it was a great night and I'm glad we did it. So what oh, did you think yeah. of it? Oh, I loved it. I had an absolute ball. Like it would have been great for the room to be filled with men, <laughs> yeah, to be of... honest. There was a lot of women, but they were all so great. And I feel like even though we did walk in there as strangers, mm. we left with a whole new tribe of sisters, you know, oh. that we obviously can keep in contact with yeah. and hopefully catch up with again at some stage. Yeah. Um, few glasses of wine. I can't believe we sat on white wine. Oh, I, don't, or... I don't even drink white wine. Like, <laughs> you do now. Oh, I do now, apparently, yeah. But it helped lighten the mood, definitely, yeah. and um, helped with your nerves a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. And definitely with the dance moves at the um, end of the evening, like, we were just rocking it up on that dance floor. Like, yeah. The moves I think, were, yeah. I think yeah. we sort of 
took over the dance floor <laughs> for a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, but that anyway. happens. And you spoke really well. It always brings a tear to my eye, listening to Joshy's story. But, yeah, you were just so strong, as were all the other ladies that got yeah. up and spoke about their losses and being able to, you know, share that in some way and hopefully, you know, encourage other people or give them some sort of hope if they're grieving at the time or going through something hard. Yeah. Not only a loss, well, I guess, of death, but yeah. There's anything. lots of different... We've talked about it before. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of different... Um, Terms come to mind when you talk about loss, but I just said on the grief side of things, as a culture, I don't believe that we not celebrate death, but we don't handle death and grief well. We don't talk about it no. often enough. No. We don't, but you know, it's one of the ladies said it's almost like you've got to do it behind closed doors because people don't know how to approach you or don't know what to say to you, and and I think. Last night really would have opened up the you know the eyes and minds of a lot of people to mm. you know be able yeah. to approach that person. Yeah, that's you know? right. So I think, I think, and I think sometimes even if we're going through something ourselves, we don't always want to talk about it. So we think, oh, you know, they don't want to hear about it again, or you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll just keep it to myself, or yeah, yeah. There's lots of reasons why I think we don't talk about it, but I think you know it's so good in those kind of forums and I think everyone felt comfortable and safe and yeah. uh, like everyone yeah. was really friendly and yeah no yeah. I, I felt so comfortable I mean it's a tough subject it you know I've said to you when I was doing my practice to sort of see how long it was going to take me I had a cry and I thought oh shit you know I hope I'm a bit stronger than that on the night and and yet that's what happens. Sometimes you are and sometimes yeah. you're not. You know, yeah, like, that's right. Yeah, we got through it and we had a ball and oh, just so pleased. Yeah. It um, definitely gave me an insight and I thought I just, yeah, I need to look. Not that I don't already. It does make remind you to take a look at what you do and what priorities you've got. And I mean, yeah. I think, shit, we really do <laughs> give you know, fun priority in our life yeah. and living it and, you know, making sure we have heaps of different experiences. And, and that's what life is about, really. It's, you know, and they said not always materialistic things. It's about the experiences and the memories you make. And, and I thought that was a great part of it. But speaking of telling stories, we've also had a few friends interested in telling their stories to us for future yeah, episodes. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. And in honouring the theme of women... And it also being Women in History Month, we have both chosen a woman from Australian history to tell you all about. Yeah, so let's take a listen to that now. In my love for all things true crime, I have decided my woman in history is about an English-Australian woman. As this is my heritage also, and I've always felt a bit of a connection to England as well as Australia, I've chosen to tell you all a little about the life and times of Matilda Mary Devine, more well known as Tilly Devine. If you're from Australia, you may have watched Tilly portrayed in the Underbelly series, Razor Gang. Tilly was born in England in 1900. Her occupation on her bio lists her as a madam. While she was eventually to make quite a business out of this trade, the young Tilly resorted to prostitution as a very young woman. She also married young and at the tender age of 16 to Australian digger Jimmy Devine. Together they had a son, 
but she left her son Richard in the care of her parents in England and took a ship ride, which they called the Bride Ship, across the oceans to what would become her new home, Australia. Tilly, with Jim acting as her security and chauffeur, began her life as an Australian entrepreneur, that is said with tongue-in-cheek, opening up brothels, sly grog shops and the like. However, according to her biography, she had multiple arrests over the next five years, culminating with a jail stint for cutting a man's face with a razor. I mean, these people were serious. If you did them wrong and used to take the old barber razors out to not necessarily kill people, but definitely disfigure them. This tactic was used especially against rival madam prostitutes to make them not so attractive to men, and Tilly was not afraid to use these same tactics. I remember always being intrigued by life in the 20s, and often when I'm walking the streets of Sydney, I think, how would life have been then, and who may have walked those same streets, and what blood had been spilt in them in that bygone era. Tilly's notoriety in Sydney was well known and every time Tilly landed in court, which was a lot, the pews were packed with onlookers. Her husband Jim continued to embed himself in the underworld and between both of them they began to build a real criminal empire, living in the elite suburb of Maroubra. Her rivalry with Kate Lee, another female crime boss, was well known and the two were known as the Queens of Sydney or the Evil Queens. There is much written on both of them and their depiction in the Underbelly Razor Gang series brought them both to life for me. These two forged their path due to a number of loopholes in the law, but I'm sure could be also credited with changes to the laws as well. Tilly was also known as the Queen of the Loo, that's Woolamaloo, and was considered quite a lady despite her profession, always dressed immaculately and seen dripping in diamonds. A very clean criminal too, apparently, with her grandson quoting her as saying, Cleanliness is next to godliness. Strange to think that she was religious, but I guess a lot of criminals claim that, don't they? She continued to increase her presence in Sydney with numerous brothels and a staff of bodyguards and bouncers. No longer needing Jim's protection or regular beatings, they eventually divorced in 1943. Tilly remarried in 1945 to Eric Parsons. During the 40s, Tilly's success continued and she went back to England for the coronation of our now Queen. And while she had her brothels, sly grog and other criminal activities, with her fortune she amassed quite an impressive real estate portfolio. While her main brothel in Palmer Street remained open until 1968, Tax debts, various charges and jail stints throughout the 50s and 60s saw the beginning of the decline of the Divine Empire. Outliving her two biological children, she left her small fortune to a son she adopted during her second marriage. According to the Daily Telegraph article by Zoe Norman in 2011, her great-granddaughter is a policewoman, a career polar opposite to Tilly's. But it appears despite Tilly's criminal background, her family recounted stories of her glamour and generosity and whether it can be considered as generous or maybe one of her last bribes, she hoped that by giving large donations to St Vincent's that her sins would be repented and as a strict Catholic she would make it to heaven. 
Having an interest in that era and Tilly herself, I was surprised to find out that she was actually still alive when I was born and in fact died just after my third birthday on the 24th of November 1970. The 24th also being a significant date to me, which makes me feel a little connection to her in some weird way. Another connection of sorts that I found quite interesting was that Icehouse's song Mr Vine is about Tilly. What's the connection, you ask? Well, Icehouse was one of the first bands I saw when I was being a brave, or silly, depending how you look at it, underage teenager sneaking into the pubs and clubs on the Gold Coast many moons ago. They were obviously as spellbound by her as I am, spellbound by Mr Vine. Australians seem to have this strange obsession with some of our most well-known criminals, and just like Ned Kelly before her, Tilly too holds legendary status and in some parts of Sydney where she lived and ran her brothels, her sly grog enterprises and engaged in all her criminal activities, stories of her exploits are still told today. This to me was an inspirational story of an extraordinary Australian woman that I've read about, a major Aussie writer of her time. Hopefully I've given this script enough blue pencil, (laughs) just a little editing term I've picked up in my research. So this is about Miles Franklin. I hadn't heard of the books My Brilliant Career and All That Swagger, But when I did start reading about Miles Franklin, not only did these novels catch my attention by name, so did her love for all things literary. Writing and reading has always been a passion of mine, English, one of my stronger subjects at school, I suppose, and the kids will always tell you I am the grammar police. I also wanted to learn more because I feel that by doing this podcast, while it may be audio, not written, It is all still words, and instead of the blue pencil for editing, I use a computer. She definitely sounded like a woman after my own heart, and she needed to use my voice to tell her story. Her full name definitely has some swagger. Stella Maria Sarah Miles. She was born the eldest on the 14th of October, 1879, in Talbingo in New South Wales, to John and Susanna Franklin. Her mother was actually the great-granddaughter of Edward Miles, who was on the first fleet ship, the Scarborough, headed to Australia for a seven-year sentence for theft. She grew up on Brindabella Station in the Brindabella Valley, west of Canberra, an area recently affected by fires. She was homeschooled in her early years, then went on to be educated at Thornford Public. It was here where her writing was encouraged by her teachers and mentors, and she will later go on to write about it in Childhood at Brindabella. Living on the station gave Miles her taste of Australian pioneering families that she would later write a lot about. I feel like this was where she grew her passion for her country, as it is noted that she was a staunch nationalist, as well as being an advocate for women's rights and equality. A true feminist. My Brilliant Career was her most well-known novel, In 1901, at just 22 years of age, she's published this with the help of Henry Lawson, another famous Australian writer and, from my childhood memories, a great bush poet. It is a story about an irrepressible girl growing up in rural New South Wales. 
a story of a girl who is uncontrollable and unrestrained, but imaginative, adventurous, and very headstrong. This brought her instant acclaim. As confusing as this may seem to us, looking back on her today and her many achievements, Franklin was quite a troubled woman and struggled to find herself and her style in writing. She wrote another novel soon after, My Brilliant Career, as a sequel, My Career Goes Bung. But this was not published until many years later, I believe around 1946. She also has a collaboration offer from Benjo Patterson put on the table for her, but she turned it down. Around 1902, it was believed she was introduced into some very sophisticated circles by a friend and for the next few years went under the disguise of Sarah Franklin, one of her many middle names, and worked as a nurse and in some domestic roles, moving from Sydney to Melbourne. She was also encouraged by friends into Christian science and emigration, which sees her eventually move abroad for some 22 years. Records also show before she left, she had been proposed to by her relative, Edwin Bridal. Without rejecting the proposal, she takes off in 1905 on the ship Ventura, headed for the United States. She finds work at the National Women's Trade Union League of America as a personal secretary. It seems Edwin was still writing to her for some time, but he must have finally got the message and correspondence does stop from him. Miles gradually progressed from part-time to full-time secretary in around 1910, earning a reported salary, wait for it, of $25 per week. Moving on to assistant editor, co-editor, and briefly as editor of the Life and Labour Journal in 1915. She also kept busy in her spare time taking singing and piano lessons. I feel a great connection to her here uh, with the singing and um, knowing how much we love karaoke. She went on to write The Net of Circumstance, which published in London in 1915. The novel was of feminist and biographical significance and was her only American-based work she created. With no man to distract Miles... Her biography reads of a woman who worked hard and fast to achieve what she set her mind to. She fell ill in 1912 after her visit to England and France, but this doesn't seem to slow her down. She is now in her early 30s and pushes herself even harder into writing and political efforts. Most would think that someone with these abilities would just be happy and content with life, but Miles continues to be unsettled and increasingly given attention by some bright young men. World War I was declared and Franklin decided marriage was not going to be for her. She considered this rabbit work, apparently, which from my research appears to mean that it was going to be just a waste of time or it was some trivial matter. It was the American chauvinism that saw her reassert her nationality, a true Aussie at heart. With mounting personal conflict within her current role at the league, she took three months leave and sailed off to England in October of 1915, envisaging that she would take on some war-related work. Although it doesn't specifically state it, my assumption is her health was failing from a sort of relatively young age, but I guess this was before medical science was so advanced and you just seemed to get on with it. She was a hard worker and moved on to roles in a creation as a cook while dabbling in journalism and talking to publishers under male noms de plume which is like your assumed name or pen name. 
1917, she became a volunteer within the American unit of the Scottish Women's Hospitals for Foreign Service and was stationed at Ostrovo, Macedonia. I found this detail quite funny, but even though the volunteer work was stimulating for her, it was also quite debilitating for Frankie Doodle, (laughs) the orderly. (laughs) Frankie returned again unwell to London in early 1918. She remained in London for another eight years, visiting Ireland and returning to Australia for a quick visit between 1923 and 24. She worked again as a secretary at the influential National Housing and Town Planning Council in Bloomsbury until apparently the male madness in the office wearied her. In her spare hours, she had written manuscripts, plays, and it seems post-war malice in London, along with her renewed connections in Australia, brought her home in 1927. Miles pursued her writing vocation by hiring a hotel room in Hertzville for typing and apparently hiding from snobs. Called eschewed tuft hunters. It's those who sought people in high places to associate with. Between 1928 and 1931, Blackwoods published three of a projected nine-volume pastoral saga by Brent of Binbin. By the late 1930s, she was again unsettled and dissatisfied with home and Australian literary life and felt she had to leave in pursuit of some better publishers. While she was away from Australia, her father died and her finances weren't looking so good. This was when Old Blastus of Bandicoot was published. Under her own name, surprisingly, the first time since 1909. And she also went on to publish a pot boiler, which is something that writers or artists do to solely make them an income. I guess it's something easy that they've worked on and quick, um, called Bring the Monkey. And she completed the remaining six Brent of Bin Bin novels. Then came All That Swagger. This won her the S.H. Pryor Memorial Prize in 1936. This strongly restored her Australian notoriety. Franklin had worked really hard towards this for a long time and, as we can see, wrote lots of novels while working other jobs and travelling. I thought about this and I think time back then was obviously really different, so much slower, and when you travelled, you possibly were at sea for many weeks at a time and this would give you solidarity, I guess, and time to write and be creative. Our lives are just so much faster these days and so time-consuming. She expressed her excitement in her native land and devoted herself to Australian literature and intellectual work. She eventually received the King George V's Silver Jubilee Medal in 1935. Her travels to America had helped strengthen her knowledge. Miles joined the Fellowship of Australian Writers and the Sydney Pen Club. She then saw the demise of Percy Stevenson, who was an Australian writer and publisher, and publishing some of her work, which moved her to then self-promote her own work, but also to help other writers, such as Mary Fullerton, and other promising young writers that may not have been able to publish without Miles's help. She supported new literary journals, Mary Booth's nationalistic projects and developed fellowship schemes to help nurture Australian writers. Her contribution to Australian literary history and the enjoyment she got from helping others saw her delivering lectures in the University of Western Australia. 
These were published posthumously as Laughter Not for a Cage. Miles's biography shows that she had openly expressed a quite a fear for dying, which unfortunately came for her with a coronary occlusion, or as we know, a heart attack, on the 19th of September 1954. She was aged 75. She was cremated and her ashes scattered on Genoma Creek, Talbingo. Miles left the majority of her estate valued at the time around £9,000, which was approximately 17000 Australian dollars, which for my research on inflation and conversions of our current dollar value, etc., was a lot of money in the 1950s. She left this to found an award for Australian literature, which is still an annual award today, the Miles Franklin Literature Award. Her literary vision still exists today also in her many published works and the international screen success of My Brilliant Career, I think, uh, which came out in 1979. In her many papers she wrote, which have been willed to the Mitchell Library in Sydney, apparently a very select archive of the paradoxes of Australian history and culture. Also, the Miles Franklin Primary School and the area Franklin and Canberra were named in her honour. And there's another school, I believe, in Tumut, New South Wales, that was named after her. Miles, at the end of the day, was a very proud Australian. And, as I've read, as some up country might say, she was a real hard doer. So, in my rap about it all, it came to me in a proud moment that many women of this era appeared to be just like us, either not to have married at all or had one love that didn't work out but went on to do great things with their lives on their own without a man by their side. But it also saddened me quite a lot to think women felt at the time that maybe they weren't noticed or seen as capable, so took on male disguises and names to publish their work or to even get jobs. It seems a lot of writers did this. A sign of a very male-dominated time, which we're trying to move away from. <laughs> so from this, I've got a lot out of, yeah, researching Miles. But I think it's really important that we all face our fears. We do believe in ourselves and what we can achieve by ourselves. And don't hide who you are. Just live life to the fullest and do what makes you truly happy. And step out of your comfort zone sometimes and just have a go much like we are with this podcast. Thanks for listening. And we know you all love listening to us uh, and we feel we've created a safe and loving platform for others to tell their stories too and we hope that they will inspire you and I hope that you can inspire us too by telling oh, us for sure. your That's, stories. Yep. And remember, you can contact us on our Facebook and Insta pages if you're interested in being a part of one of our shows or have a specific topic you want to suggest we chat about. Or you can send us an email to singlesisters.2019 at gmail.com. And to end it, on Joe's quote of the day for all the beautiful sisters in our life and that's thanks to Misfit on Facebook no matter where you are in life inspire and empower the women around you success is never reached alone and wisdom and wealth are sweeter shared here's cheers Kaz cheers Joe. awesome oh oh